I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, my guest is Rajendra Vaishampayan, an accomplished classical Indian musician and entrepreneur. Stay tuned. In my house growing up, music was a constant. And not just any music, but Indian music. Everywhere and a lot of it. It was classical Indian music playing in the background at any given moment, or an impromptu session of listening to bhajans or Marathi folk tunes, or even the music lessons and performances that peppered weekends countlessly throughout my childhood. It was a philosophy and it was a force. There was a time when my friend and I and our two immigrant Indian dads were driving home from a long trip, and the only thing that's imprinted in my mind is the two-hour discussion slash argument slash lecture on the merits of Indian music against virtually any other genre of sound. But believe it or not, at some point, the background and the arguments transformed to a connection and a deep love for Indian music as part of my own experiential soundtrack. For an artist and entrepreneur like Rajendra Vaishampayan, the love for that soundtrack has been the unifying thread in a long journey of studying, performing, and promoting Indian classical music and art. Rajendra is a classically trained musician from Mumbai, having studied tabla and sammadini. He's also the founder of Sonic Octaves, a tech and media company dedicated to promoting, developing, and distributing classical Indian music and culture. His versatility as a writer, a software engineer, and a teacher have given him a unique perspective on helping to curate music and culture for a multi-generational audience. I had a chance to chat with Rajendra about the arc of the developing artist, his journey as a creator, and the frustrations of his initial exposures to Indian classical music. Uh, in fact, I was forced to learn uh, a classical instrument and that happened to be tabla because I did show some inclination towards rhythm and, and so on and so forth in my childhood. So I was forced to go and uh, learn tabla. I never intend, intended uh, that to be my passion or never actually took liking towards it uh, until much later part in my life. Uh, but somehow uh, because of the force and uh, I started playing better to a point where I started performing um, very early on um, until the point where I got the admission in engineering college. I was just learning tabla and frankly speaking, I hated uh, Indian classical music until then. Uh, it will be very surprising. Which, is, which by the way, is such a surprise, right? I mean, <laughs> given now your background and, and your achievements and accomplishments, yeah, I think it is the way I got introduced to Indian classical music because I used to go to this typical uh, music coaching class, so to say, where, you know, they will teach a lot of uh, students at the same time. And the teacher would come and start teaching them, you know, it's like, so this is supposed to be a scale called poop. And if this is how it is taught to children, I, I will uh, strongly say that uh, people will not like it. I mean, the children will not like it. I didn't like it. Yeah. So that's why I, I I knew that definitely this is not the music I want to learn. 
so that is how i just kept on doing it i kept on playing tabla just because it i was forced to play and uh, i was kind of i picked up on it but never really had that inclination to play so seriously or so quote unquote with passion so to say even even with forced uh practice and your parents uh, or even you sort of going through the motions if you will it sounds mm-hmm. like even with that though you you started to get some kind of achievement and accomplishment um in tabla itself and and you know with time and understanding uh did you even have some even though it was forced did you have some love of music that was emerging yeah i had i had love and i used to i used to like playing tabla but that was more of the light music uh kind of performance never seriously into classical solo and classical performance and so on and so forth because you know i used to play with bhajans and everything so we had this background at home in in home where we used to you know get get together and sit and play and and you know perform together as a family but it never went beyond just the hobby so to say never had this inclination of of taking it so seriously that happened later and there was a reason why it happened um and because my guruji samvadini guruji pandit manohar chimote had that influence on me and that's how not only that i shifted my gears from tabla to samvadini but i actually started liking indian classical music because <laughs> of my guru pandit manohar chimote actually and it's a very interesting it's a miraculous event uh that happened and if somebody says can you transform a person by a very strong influence in a day i would say yes you can and when i am one of the examples well tell us a little bit about that because it sounds like that may have been a moment for you where it became less of a chore and a burden of sitting through numerous classes Absolutely. and being forced yes. into it and yeah. in fact developing if you will a friendship with indian mm-hmm. classical music that's true because uh, i still remember the moment or and that day he was teaching the same scale that i hated i just mentioned bhup rag bhup yeah. the scale on that day coincidentally he was teaching bhup and i was mesmerized with his mastery over music and his mastery over samvadini and his approach towards music his approach towards the aesthetics of music and beauty of music and when i came out i was like wow if this person can teach bhup so well he must be a genius <laughs> and and that was really a transformative day for me it was just mesmerizing and very interestingly in couple of months i decided that i should be learning from him um i should be learning melodious instrument from him so yeah. initially i asked him whether he he can teach me sitar or because i never had this inclination towards vocal music i always got attracted to instrumental music and he used to teach sitar also <clears throat> but then he had stopped it and he said no i don't teach sitar anymore i just uh, teach samvadini so i said okay then teach me samvadini so what he thought is a very casual student just you know trying to right. uh, you know get something um, but i was very serious i was determined whether it is samvadini or whether any any art form or any instrument i wanted to learn from him and him only so my search search towards my guru ended that day and i know this is the person i want to learn from and that's how it happened and since that day uh, onwards i actually got that aesthetics and the joy and the 
and the feeling overwhelming feeling of creative arts and music and performance so to say from him that got me transformed into who i am today let me ask you this because i think so much of learning involves trust and mm-hmm. was there something in that first experience or first set of experiences with that guru where you felt that trust where you felt that this was going to be an experience and a relationship that was friendly and collaborative that perhaps you didn't get with your teachers earlier in tabla i absolutely think so because uh, he approached music as as if he's handling a very delicate very beautiful very subtle very uh, how do you, how do i explain it very Fragile. very beautiful thing very fragile thing and he he did it with such a love such such compassion such admiration such surrender such uh, humility that the whole experience influenced me because early on it was it used to be ha huh, okay you do this perform this for a week practice this for a week if you can do this and then i'll teach you the next one yeah. so it was more of the uh, it was more of the motion and the just a process of it's almost feeling like a transaction yeah exactly it was more of the transaction but for the first time i i could see somebody who can actually lead the way to that beauty to that realization to that experience to that uh, enchanting experience of feeling the music in you and i think that is where he he really uh, impressed me uh, and and then i felt that he is my guru basically and with this realization and this transformation that you had in learning the samvadini and especially linking now and collaborating with your guru i'm wondering if it actually enhanced your appreciation and understanding and in, and in fact your joy of playing other instruments like tabla or even just other aspects of indian classical music that you didn't have earlier on and and that absence of joy that earlier did it it actually bring even more joy to what your experiences of tabla were when you were growing up uh, absolutely in fact once you start appreciating beauty in and okay once you start to know how to appreciate anything then that actually gets applied to almost everything that you do right where it where if it where it is it, if it is tabla playing or even cooking right yeah. uh, when, once you know how to appreciate something you tend to appreciate every aspect of your life sure. my, my l- learning of samvadini actually led me to uh, be a staff artist in alarkha institute of music i used to go there as a uh, lehra accompanist uh, and ustad alarkha used to sit close to me like 3 foot away from me and that is the second time i got to experience the uh, the process of creativity he used to compose in front of me uh, <clears throat> i saw this thought process with my guruji first yeah. so which i saw in uh, my guruji which i saw in ustad alarka khasab and because of ustad alarka khasab i started appreciating tabla which i did not earlier yeah. uh, because i could i could see how to appreciate and how to enjoy the process of 
a of performing or process of creating something with the instrument yeah. which earlier i did not have and i think that is the most important aspect if of somebody telling you how to appreciate what is good what is not good what is beautiful what is not beautiful mm. what is right what is not right and once you start getting that those nuances that is where you start appreciating things did did you also see that migrate into your training as a software engineer and and how perhaps that actually accelerated your growth in that profession too absolutely because i think ultimately it is a great combination of performance and aesthetics uh, and functionality and aesthetics basically yeah. and uh, and leaning more towards aesthetics is what the beauty is all about because functionality is given i mean you have to you have to have the functionality in place but more be- more you beautify some something it is more likely to get accepted and appreciated with with the end end user basically so whether it is the audience of uh, the audience who is listening to the music or somebody who is using the software ultimately it has to be pleasing it has to be uh, beautiful for them to enjoy that and and i think i think that's also the philosophy of uh, steve jobs as to you know the yeah. design and the, and the and the the product has to be beautiful and i think that is what is uh, applicable in the, probably every aspect Tell me about the transformation that uh, took place for you professionally when you actually made the leap or the decision perhaps to go from being a full-time software engineer to now devoting uh, your career to, to music and to the promotion of, of art. Okay, I'll take you a step before that as to how I... uh how i decided to be a software engineer first so i i got into this engineering again because of the attraction of the creativity and so on and so forth um and i was again i was convinced forcefully that it's the right thing to do to be a software engineer and stabilize your life quote unquote yeah. so i took up that job visited uh, us worked in us for a long period of time got this corporate uh, ladder or corporate experience or work in a big companies big firms and so on and so forth uh when i was doing my engineering i wanted to be a full time musician <clears throat> and it was more of the craving for the creative arts rather than the glitter and the glory of being on the stage um so i decided to be a full time musician to be in creative arts but because of just i just mentioned because somebody or people at home convinced me to be a software engineer and became a software engineer uh and until it was very creative process uh, of perf- our uh, algorithms and and programming and playing with computers coming out with the great systems and so on and so forth it was fun but as i grew uh i realized that i'm losing that creative aspect of software technology and i'm becoming more of the human human manager as you settle down uh, in life in terms of your accomplishment and money and basic uh, basic needs and necessities you start asking yourself is this the way i want to lead my life for for rest of my life so uh, it's like mid midlife crisis if you will and uh, software engineers actually got this midlife crisis early on in their life because they settled down early on at least that happened the generation my generation because we got such a opportunity and the software field was coming up and we got settled down very quickly compared to our peers in in other domains but then 
I actually started asking this question to myself: Is this what? Is this the life I want to have? And I got to read some of the books uh, by Robin Sharma. It's like uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari and so on and so forth, which added fuel to this whole thought process. And then I realized, no, 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 I want to actually get back to where my heart belongs. Yeah. And so that is where. uh i started thinking of what i should be doing in order to combine what i can do and what i want to do uh, so i i decided to combine those two things together to be a company in the create in the field of creative arts so that i combine all my skills together and uh, can add value to my own life and to the society and and generally in the field of creative arts uh, and try to create that platform uh, which i if i would have got at the at the time when i wanted or when i was deciding to be a full time uh, creative person i really did not get that guidance or that platform or uh, the right direction so to say um yeah. as to how one can do that so as a mission uh, of sonic octaves when i founded sonic octaves one of the key thing was to create such a platform for at least the next generation to get that guidance uh, through my experience and my uh, overall endeavor as a software engineer and also as a creative person you're listening to trust me i know what i'm doing After a quick break, we'll come back and rejoin our conversation with Rajendra Bhayshampayan. Stay tuned. This is Vijay Iyer and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to our conversation with Rajendra Bhayshampayan. We pick up talking a little bit more about his philosophy for success. See for any successful career or for any successful uh person he needs to answer two questions. One is why he exists and secondly how he exists. Mm. Right? With software engineers they are so much focused on how they exist. because they want to right. earn big, bigger salary bigger pay package bigger company bigger home bigger vacation bigger car and yeah. this is the how part they are trying to solve their how part all of their life and they struggle with the why part yeah right with the artists they know why part they yeah. know that they love they have the love for this music and that is they that is what they want to do for rest of their life and that is their passion and mission and so on and so forth so their why part is very clear Mm. Uh, but their how part is a challenge sure right so i think uh, coming from both the worlds and comparing those two things together i think the the success lies in balancing the why part of life and how part of life sure so the software engineers need to understand early on what is their why and uh, the artists need to understand very early on what is their how was that merging of the two together for you in many ways the initial part of your launch of sonic octaves and then of course the uh balance of that why and that how has that been sort of the formula for success i i think so because uh along with the mission of sonic octaves i also uh focused i also focused on how sonic octaves as a company will survive as well 
so i i started or founded sonic octaves because of the because of answering of the why question yeah but ultimately i still had to figure out the how part of the company how the company will survive right so right. all the products and services and all the design all the strategies uh, i tried to find out that balance between why we should be doing this and how we should be surviving so that way it give it gives me that real balance about achieving our mission and the goals and the uh, and the value that we we uh, that we founded this company for at yeah. the same time making sure that th- this company survives and thrives and achieves the economical uh, milestones also and only then we will be able to achieve our why because if you don't if you don't conquer the how part then uh, gradually the why part will fade away as well and that's generally what happens and i think is the balance which is the key and is that why question meaning the uh the framework of the art or the actual content of the art itself is that also the kind of philosophy that you either look for or are trying to promote in the artists that you work with mhm absolutely because i them i make them realize that they need to give answers to these two questions so they have figured out the vibe part yeah so what i tell them is okay with sonic octaves with collaboration uh, with sonic octaves you will be able to f- work on and figure out the how part yeah and and that is what i bring to the table uh, to the artist in terms of offering them the methods the guidelines and the platform so that they uh, create good music they promote good music and then they make names for themselves and so that ultimately they settle down faster and try to answer the the how part early on in their life and that's what um, sonic octaves mission is all about is to create that platform is to you know get the uh, or to create ordinary or extraordinary out of ordinary you know that that pathway perhaps that exists in the corporate environment um mm-hmm. and is that just dramatically different in the artistic environment particularly for indian classical musicians is there a framework that um perhaps is is a poor framework for that matter that that lives on exploitation and and perhaps uh, are there other barriers for that classical indian musician to perhaps thrive that now you're trying to in fact promote mm-hmm. actually my background with with software led me to believe that there has to be some uh, career path uh, and you need to have a plan to accomplish that career path yeah um, but for most for most part indian classical musicians or for that matter uh, artistic uh, creative art or creative artists lack that uh, career path say for example mm-hmm. for a writer if i ask him what are you trying to or what you will be 2 years down the line or for a musician i'll ask him okay what how do you see yourself 5 years down the line uh, frankly i have i asked this question to so many people and most of them do not have that answer yeah and because it is a customary just to you know karte raho riyaz karte raho to fir ho jayega type of philosophy which probably worked for one in 10000 people but for yeah. 
they have no clue as to what is happening with their life so when they have when they are young they do not have those responsibilities and they can you know they have that freedom to to just uh, do what they like and what they want without really worrying about uh, how are they the how part of it yeah. they can i have seen people who just are there in the field for 5 years 10 years max and then they fade away because they cannot really figure out the how part but the expectation about the how part from them uh, by the family and the extended family but it's so much that they ultimately have to worry about it and then all that yeah. zeal all that creative inspiration and all that drive i i saw it fading away and kind of you know they accepting something which is like a very traditional way of uh, right. you know, i know you know either teaching students or all that all that spark fades away so yeah. i try to i try to uh, talk with a lot of artists and understand and also try to share with them as to how you can still keep that spark and again coming back to the same thing how do you how do you balance that why and the how part so that yeah. that spark doesn't fade away same with the artists same with the writers same with the uh, uh, musicians everything i mean it just comes to that one of the things i've been impressed about of course even in the idea of now translating indian classical music or any kind of art form for that matter is how much attention you pay to the multigenerational aspect of this meaning mm-hmm. how art is so relevant to those who are in one generation but it may not necessarily be with the same kind of technologic savvy perhaps mm-hmm. and how technologic savvy and art is now bridged in a new generation but they may not have the historical perspective of the classic nature perhaps of of some of this art and you know has that been uh, something that you've deliberately paid attention to uh i think we did and we wanted to make it uh, comfortable for all the three generations yeah. uh, at 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 a different touch points what i what i mean by that is for the young generation whatever we do uh, and the technology the technology that we use should be cool and you know yeah. really uptight and whatever the the, the words that <laughs> well, they use well compelling right yeah compelling yeah absolutely yeah. and for the for the old generation for the uh, for the senior citizens it has to be friendly yeah uh, it has to be simple yeah so how do you combine those two aspects uh, uh, together in one package that it should be really you know compelling savvy cool but at the same time it is very friendly yeah. so we try to design our interface uh, in such a manner that uh, all the three generations will have the same feeling of comfort mm-hmm. because the technology is here to stay and especially with the pandemic and all the situation that you know all of yeah. us went through uh, the senior citizens have realized that they cannot do away with technology they have to adopt it yeah. um, so the question will be how to make it simple how to make it uh, more friendly for them more offensive for them i mean less offensive yeah. for them in in some ways as an artist and now a someone who has this mission with sonic octaves is that the formula to making art actually evolve as well as survive and retain mm-hmm. its classical nature by saying that how do you actually reminisce and become nostalgic about art that is so classical and yet how is it evolving and changing and attracting new followers in new different dimensions and new different exciting ways to make it cool um mm-hmm. is that blend in fact part of the way that art 
like Indian classical music actually survives? Yes, actually, uh, for most part, what changes is not the the product but the packaging. Yeah. Uh, for most part, the product remained the same. Yeah. Uh, the contents are the same. So the format format changed over a period of time, right? Initially, it was like live uh, concerts. Then, then uh, we had this gramophone records. Then we had these tapes, and then we got the CD and this this digital download, and now apps. So this packaging is changing with time and with the generation. But ultimately. Uh, what I'm listening to is Amir Khan Sahib on gramophone, on disc, on tape, on app, or on a digital download. But what I'm actually appreciating is Amir Khan Sahib's Marwa. Yeah. That hasn't changed, right? So what is change is that packaging. Or the story even, the, the story even that accompanies it, right? Whether it's part of a, a film or, an adver- or even a, a television piece or an online uh, snippet. And, and very interestingly, as the options are growing the attention span is reducing yeah right so it is again and when i say packaging it is how do you uh, encapsulate the same content to be enjoyed in less amount of time with less hassle and more uh, productivity, quote unquote, out of the small attention pan, span that we get for appreciating that particular piece. So, for example, now nobody would record like a one hour, 45 minutes Marwa. Uh, yeah. But people do want to listen to a piece like Marwa. So you just, you know, combine that into a five minute, very classic, very crisp, very concise uh, presentation. And people tend to enjoy that five minute um, clip uh, with a similar enthusiasm and similar liking as the older generation would enjoy that one and one hour and 45 minutes elaborated marvel well whether it's uh, new horizons new stars new art forms new venues and platforms i think we're all better off for having you help to accelerate that rajendra thank you so much for joining us today it's really been a treat and we hope uh, and wish you wish for you nothing but success. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks Abhay, for inviting me and uh, patiently listening through this. Ruckus Avenue Radio.